Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Well, I have got my lovely wife up here today helping me out preach uh, this message in our uh, Classics Volume 2 series. In case you've missed them before, you can catch them in our podcast. You can catch the last um, year's Classics Volume 1 um, on the podcast as well. In this whole series, we've uh, just been tracking through some of the uh, well-known and some of the not-so-well-known stories of the old in the Old Testament um, and at Celebration Church, we spend a lot of time in the New Covenant and talk about what it means to be a New Testament believer and living by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and those different things. Um, but the truth is, is that God's Spirit, God has been at work um, throughout the generations, and we ha- do have a new covenant in Christ. And so that, I- that is there and that exists. Um, but we can glean a lot of good stuff out of some of these classic stories. And if you've been in church for a while then you'll be able to to recognize some of these. If you're new to church, well, guess what? These are your stories. And today we're going to look at a lady named Esther. And I have, you know, obviously some limited experience, um, just observational experience of what it means to to deal with a woman, a woman's perspective. And so I have invited my wife to come and preach this with me to be able to keep me on track and online. She's got a Ph.D. in keeping Brandon Clark in line. So, on, uh, in our notes, we're just leading with this idea that the life of Esther helps us to, um, to understand and to grow in what it means to know God better and trust Him more. And man, I tell you what, we see that in her life um, as soon as we're introduced to her all the way through. We've been looking at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, um, which states this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. God's got a race, a plan, a direction, a pace marked out for your life. And it's not just for you and it's not just for the people that live at your address or that you deal with impact. It's got a kingdom assignment and the enemy wants to come in and bring the entanglements and the, and the sin and all the different stuff to mess up the kingdom assignment that you have for your life. And we can look at these that have gone before us, who had to deal with some of the same stuff, some of the same mess, but trusted God and saw some amazing things that take place. As we look at the book of Esther, you read Genesis to Revelation, and you see God, 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 in the beginning was God. There's God's all over it. But there, we get to the book of Esther, and Esther's the only book in the Bible where God is not mentioned. God's not mentioned in the book of Esther at all. You don't see his name. You don't see Yahweh. You don't see Jehovah. You don't see God directly mentioned in the book of Esther at all. Here's what you do see. You do see references to the Jews. You do see references to their, that their practices were different than the Persians. And that therefore it created this point of tension and it actually irritated a guy so bad that he created this mastermind, this plot to try to annihilate the Jews. No, Adolf Hitler was not the first one to try to annihilate the Jews. It's it's happened throughout history multiple times. And here is, is sealed up for us one of those moments. 
but we don't see God. We see the Jews talked about. We see some of their practices. It doesn't even talk about their religious practices. It just says they have different customs, different things. And so God is not directly talked about in the book of Esther. And so I think it's really important because God is still the central character of the book of Esther. You just have to know the character of God to see that he's the central character in it. You have to know who he is and why he's at work. And this is why we don't lead off with the story of Esther. Because we have to understand some of who he is and what he's done and how he works. And when we see that and we understand that, then we see God at work all the way through it. Folks, this is one of those moments where this encourages us because there are times in our lives and times in, our, in the life of our nation, times of life of people we care about, where we'll go, where is God? Where is God? And if we don't know the nature and the character of God, we'll miss when he's been in the middle of it, he's been at work, he is bringing about restoration and change and deliverance and purpose all the way through it. But if you don't know the character of God, you don't see that he's the central character of the story. And so, but we here we see that because we see what's happening with God's people, we see what's happening with God. And that is why we, as God's people in today's age, it is so important. Because there are people who aren't hearing God's story, but they're seeing your story, and therefore they're seeing, they're seeing an element of God. We need to be understand that our lives and the impact and the influence and the way we respond and the way we operate it is telling God's story all the way through, just like Esther's life is telling God's story without a direct reference to God. And so before we get any deeper into this, we need to kind of have some backstory on uh, who Esther is and how she showed up and why she's important. And when you open up with Esther 1, um, we find out that there's a king named Xerxes, okay? And Xerxes rules over the Persian Empire, and it's a large empire at this, at this point, 120-something provinces. It's huge stretches um, from stretches from um, the area of Greece all the way over to India. It is just this massive empire, and Xerxes rules this. He's in the, he's in the ruling citadel of Susa is the city he's ruling from, um, and it's a time of peace. He's not having to be out on the front lines and battling and doing all of these different things, and he decides in all his arrogance and all of his wealth, he decides he's going to display his power, his majesty, and all this, and does it for 180 days, a half a year of just, just showing off everything. And then at the end of this, he decides he's got to top it off with this banquet for just the fellas. He's like, ladies, no, nope, just the fellas. And so for seven days, it's just the bros, and they're chilling, and they're hanging out, and they're having a good time. Queen Vashti, his lady at the time, the queen of the land, she has a place for the ladies, and they're having their own banquet, and they're eating cucumber sandwiches and doing the little finger thing. Is that right, babe? Am I doing it right? No, and, and they're so, not doing that. And so, and they're getting... They're pajama party and mattress surfing. That's what they're doing. They're that's having a great time. They're, they're, getting, they're, they're getting their nails done. Yes. A little spa treatment, a yes. little, little yes. bit of fresh we, they mud. They are doing that. And so, they're doing their thing. And at the end of the seven days... At the end of the seven days, the scripture says that Xerxes was in high spirits from too much wine. He was drunk. And like entirely too many drunk husbands, he does makes a decision where he has to find a new wife. And so, and he, he decides that he's hanging out with the bros. He's talking about how hot his woman is. And he's like, hey, go bring her. And I want to show her off to all the guys. I want them to see how hot she is, how beautiful she is. And so 
Um, he sends off the guy, the, the servants to go bring her, and she gets word. And I think um, that Vashti was the original Texas woman. Yeah. Texas didn't exist, but she says, no, you ain't putting me on display in front of your drunk buddies. I ain't doing that. Um, and so, and then that leaves Xerxes going, Vashti, do you love me? Are you riding? What? Are you down? And so, and she's like, no, I am not down with you always. And so, and, uh, and so then there's this tension. There's this drama. There's this problem that now she has punked him in front of the boys. You don't punk the king in front of the fellas. So he's like, bam, you lose the crown, woman. You out. And now there's no queen. So he's a king without a queen. And he, this creates a vacancy there in the land of Persia. And they decide, again, all these brilliant guys over here said, well, man, if she was that beautiful, you got to find another beauty to be able to be a part of this. Why don't you have a kingdom-wide beauty pageant, find all the lovely ladies of the land, have them come before you, you choose your uh, queen from that. Is this a good idea to you? And he says, 100%. Let's do this. And so they start it. They do the, do the thing. And all of a sudden now, they're rounding up all of the beautiful, lovely ladies to find a new queen. And now we've come to Esther. So in Esther 2, 5 through 7 says, Now there was a Jew who lived in the palace complex in Susa. Now listen, we're going to forgive each other here. Because there might be some words that I say wrong. I got your back, baby. Thanks. But old brilliant one over here is going to help me out. Thank you. I can't with him. So anyways, his name. The first word is now. <laughs> now, there was a Jew who lived in the palace complex in Susa. His name was Mordecai, the son of... Jair. Thank you. That's just how this is going to work. The son of... Shimmy. Thank you. The son of... Kish. A Benjamite. His ancestors had been taken from Jerusalem... With the exiles and carried off with King Jehoiachin, thank you, of Judah by King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon into exile. Mordecai had reared his cousin Hadassah, otherwise known as Esther, since she had no father or mother. The girl had a good figure and a beautiful face. After her parents died, Mordecai had adopted her. So Esther's story starts out that she really has no place. She has no mom. She has no dad. She, in, in my mind, she doesn't have a home. And she's left here with basically nothing. And a man in her family comes and takes her in and adopts her. And God has a place for her in the very beginning. And that is what we need to leave from this point. 
God has a place for you in the very beginning before you ever know it, before you ever can see it, before you ever get it, before we ever, 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 ever can make sense of it. He has a place for us. He had a place for her when she was displaced. He had her replaced before she was displaced. He already knew how this was going to work because he is God. He had her wins set in place before she was ready to win because he is God. And those wins, that early win with her being displaced as an orphan and then, and then finding her spot um, in the land of Persia, a, a, a beautiful young lady not having any sort of a guardian, not having any sort of thing. I'm telling you what, she was at risk if anybody's ever been at risk. It was going to be a very, very difficult life for Esther. And then all of a sudden, somebody stepped in. She went from being right on the edge of the gutter, right on the edge of a horrible life, and all of a sudden, now she has a place. It's not where she's going to end up, but it's a place. And we need to understand that every win God brings in our lives should be a thing that helps us for the next win. Because guess what? In those in-between moments, it's awkward. As you go from one spot to the next spot, I am here. God's going to take me there. The journey is awkward every time. The journey is awkward every time. And so we need to trust God. And the awkward would find our place. It requires faith. It requires trust in Him. It requires understanding that, no, I'm not where I was. And, no, I'm not where I'm, you're going to take me. But I, you are still with me in the awkward. So many times we only feel secure here or secure there. But guess what? You're secure all the way through. And if you're not willing to trust God in the middle of the awkward transition moments, you will never, of your own initiative, step into what God has for you. You'll end up being thrust there, drugged there, or miss it completely. If we sit there and we're not willing to be step into it of our own initiative and trust God in the awkward place. She gets, she gets recruited to be drugged into this pageant. She had her home. She had her spot. Um, she was lovely. I guarantee you there were plenty of guys who were, who were saying, Hey, Mordecai, um, you know what? I would love to be able to... Uh, talk to you about one day marrying Hadassah, one day marrying Esther. Um, she was going to be okay. And then all of a sudden she is plucked up out of her life and thrust into a, this beauty pageant thing she wanted nothing to do with. And all of a sudden her life is turned upside down and now she's in a brand new place of awkward. She's in a brand new thing. They, they, they made her go through a year of beauty treatments. She's not where she was going to be, she, where she was. She was not where she was headed for a year. She was just in transition, her life completely unknown to her, her future unknown. But then we get to Esther 2.17. It says, and now the king was attracted to Esther more than to any of the other women. And she won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. And so he set a royal crown on her head. And made her queen instead of Vashti. There she goes. Out of all of these awkward stuff. She ends up in the place of the palace. She ends up in her spot. But it required her to be able to rest. And to trust God 
in that moment. And when she steps into that and she's in this beauty pageant, Mordecai gives her advice early on. Look, don't reveal that you're a Jew. Don't reveal that you're a Jew. Because the Jews in the Persian Empire, there were a lot of them were hated. And Mordecai knew that there were some of the higher ups in the Persian Empire that did not like the Jewish people. And he says, keep this on the download. Just kind of float through this thing and just keep it on the download. So she did. So she ends up, as a Jew, being placed in this high spot. And the king, nobody else knows her heritage. And then, sure enough, there's a guy named Haman the Agagite. And you want to just some interesting Bible study on your own. Look at King Agag. Haman is an Agagite. He is a descendant of King Agag. And if you just do a little bit of Bible study, you'll see that this could have been preempted completely. But um, with uh, Haman, he devises a plan. And he gets the king to sign off on it. He says, guess what, king? Um, There's some people in this land that they don't respect you. They don't respect us. They have their own customs. They do their own thing. And they're a constant threat to the nation because they honor this other thing more than they honor the king. And he says, "Let's, let's make a day where we can kill them legally. And take their possessions legally. And if we'll set this day, everybody who lives around them, they're going to take care of this nuisance for us. They just, they get to have whatever they can. They go in, they take it, and take their stuff. And King Xerxes signs off on it. And they cast a lot, um, the purr, to find out what day it was. And it falls into the 13th day of the 12th month. And that's not December for us. That's the month of Adar for the, uh, in Hebrew. And so when it falls on the 13th day, which those are little pop culture references, that's part of the, uh, one of the reasons historians say that everybody being spooked and feeling like 13th is an unlucky day or a day of death um, gets rooted back to this story in Esther that their possessions. So just a little side note. And, um, but it's still influencing, this is still influencing us to this day. And uh, anyways, and so this plan comes about and, and Mordecai finds out about it and says, man, uh, now something needs to shift. Something needs to happen. Finding your place requires courage. In Esther 4, 13 through 14, it says, do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to a royal position for such a time as this. She didn't, she knew that, let me say it this way. She knew that her people were going to make it. Now it's being said, if you don't speak up and you don't find the courage to do what is before you, your people will make it. But your slice of the pie, your father's family, your will be taken. What? A predicament to be in. What a place. 
And to find the courage that now it is, you have to stand up and do what, what is before you. You know, I, I think this is Krista Clark, if she was Esther, could be a little whiny. That's okay. Because I would be queen. But, yeah. I didn't want to be an orphan, but I was forced. I didn't want to have to find a new home and make a new home with somebody else to be my father, but I was forced. I didn't want to be beautiful and fine and have to be in a pageant, but I was forced. I didn't want to find favor with the king, but I was forced. And now you've forced me to live a whole new lifestyle, take on a whole new lifestyle. I don't know that necessarily she, I mean, let's think about this. She didn't, wasn't raised with somebody making her food and putting her robe on. She can do that herself. But now that's the lifestyle she's living. And some of you may think, that might not be too bad. But I think if you are forced, it's something difficult. And then you're forced now to be a warrior. I might would throw a little fit. I don't want to. But then to be put at it that your people will be fine. But your piece of it, not so much. And to find the courage that it takes to live the law of the land, because the law back then was way different than it is now. She couldn't just go to her husband and say, yo, dude, let's talk. She had to walk it out the right way. For sure. Because her, her place had a purpose. Um, yes, it was amazing that she was able to, to live a great life, and there was nothing wrong with her enjoying that great life and having those nice things, but it wasn't all about her. Her place had a purpose. And guess what? One of the things we need to understand is our place, your place, has a purpose. There's a place for you to be able to function in the kingdom. And you've been set up for such a time as this. You've been set up to be able to speak into people's lives that nobody else can speak into, to make a difference that nobody else can make. And yes, the, your life is for you to be able to have and enjoy, and, and God wants us to have that, but it's not all about you. It's not all about me. Your place has a purpose, and you have to be willing to step into that, and finding your place requires that you focus on God. As Cutie said, that they were not, she was not allowed to just go in and see the king whenever she wanted to. He had to call for her. And at this point in time, he had not asked to see her in 30 days. Well, she already knew there was queen one. She's queen two. There can easily be queen three. She don't know what he's mad about. She don't know what, what's going on in his mind. And in the law of the Mede and the Persians, if you approach the king without being requested, it was a death sentence immediately, unless he extended his scepter, unless he extended his gold scepter, and that was extending grace and saying, okay, yeah, no, I'm, I'm cool with this. But that was law so that to prevent assassins, to prevent somebody just coming in and taking out the king. If you came in to talk to the king without being invited, they killed you, bam. Unless the king said, oh, no, slow down. I'm good. 
And so when she's being requested to go to the king by Mordecai to speak up on behalf of her people, she's like, look, um, this, as soon as I broach those doors, I'm a dead woman unless grace comes in. I'm a dead woman unless grace shows up. And I have to be well. She had to trust and be willing to be able to do that. And to step like that has, you have to focus on God. And Esther then speaks to Mordecai in verse 15. It says, and then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa, God's people, and fast for me. Do not eat or drink these three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast and, and um, do the same. Here she is. She's not saying pray, but in the Jewish world, if you're fasting, you're praying. She says just don't eat anything. Again, no direct reference to God. It's not saying pray to God. She's like fast. Well, your doctor will tell you to fast before you have a surgery. But we understand in the Jewish culture, in the Jewish thing, fasting was dovetailed with prayer. It went in there. She's calling a three-day prayer meeting. And we again, we don't see a direct reference to God, but God is all over this. And she is focusing. She is focusing on God to be able to walk this out, to be able to live the fullness of the purpose of her place. She had to focus on God. On from there, 416 says, I will go to the king even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Finding your place requires initiative. Now, we are not all going to leave here today and be like, I will throw myself before it all, and if I die, I die. That is not what this is saying. That was Queen Esther's calling. That is what she was called to. And because everything that was going on outside of her own court, she was, it was unknown to her. She didn't know what was going on with um, King Xerxes and all that. She just knew what was going on, what was being told to her, what she was being counseled. And she knew what she was willing to do. She did not know. Now, our calling is not the same. But it takes initiative. We have to be on top of. We have to be on our game when we're walking out our walk and our journey with God. We have to hear the counsel that we're receiving from the Holy Spirit and from those who are in our lives to, to help us. She sought her counsel. She prayed. She fasted. She knew what was before her. And she was willing to do what it took to get it done. See, in the, in the life of Esther, we see this truth, that when you don't understand, stay steady. Stay steady. You, in the awkward, you're not always going to understand. You're not always going to see how is this going to play out, how is this going to go, but just stay steady. Keep trusting God. We see that throughout Esther's life. She just kept staying steady in the middle of this. She did not have this scripture to lean on. But you and I do. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know in all, in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. That as we're going from here to there and we're in the awkward, God's working all things, 
all things. When the enemy tried to knock me off track, God will retract. God, the enemy tried to slow me down, God will speed you up. The enemy tried to do this. I was foolish and I tried to retract. God will put you back on track. God will do it over and over and over and over again. He will work all things to our good. It doesn't say he causes all things. It doesn't say he's the author of all things. He says that there is nothing we or the enemy or this world can throw at it that God can't do to go boop, 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 get his purpose done in our lives. Esther didn't have Romans 8, 28 to lean on, but she did have the faithfulness of God to her people and the stories of Moses and Abraham and all that that had been handed down. She had that. She had the faithfulness of God personally in her life that she ended up as an orphan and could have, things could have gone into the gutter and she ends up in the palace. She's sitting there looking at her life, living the life she never dreamed and see the hand of God at work and she saw God's at work, God's at work, God's at work and she was able to take initiative and say, God, I'm just gonna believe you're still at work. If I perish, I perish, but I believe you're still at work. When you realize God's purpose for your life, you feel empowered. And sometimes it takes just having that moment of realizing we all have a purpose. We all have a purpose. It's not going to be the queen like Esther was or the king. We're, it's, we're not. But it's going to be as important. You're the queen. You're the king of your home. You're, and the Lord reigns there too. But you have a purpose. And when you realize it and that it has meaning and that it has, it's, it's what God's called you to do. You're empowered by that. You feel empowered. You, you feel, what's that word? Invincible. You are that. And in Acts 10, 38, it says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the... Uh, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. He went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the enemy because God was with him. Jesus was able to do all that God had called him to do when he walked this earth. Because God was with him. And we have that too. God is with us. Amen. We sing that. God is for us. And see, when you know God loves you, um, it's easier for you to take the next step. When you know he, lo he loves you and he's with you, you can leave the place of comfort to step into the awkward, to get to the place with the purpose. God will do that when you know that you are loved, when you are sure that you are loved, when you're sure that he is with you, then I'll tell you what, then all of a sudden everything begins to shift. Everything begins to shift. Acts chapter 17, verse 26. It says, from one man he made all the nations. Let's just pause right there. <clears throat> Look at this. Um, it, is, it is just absolute foolishness for racism of any kind to exist. It's foolishness. Because here, especially for us as believers, that we understand that all of our great, 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 great granddaddy is the same person, Adam. 
And it don't matter what your skin looks like, what your eyes look like, what your hair looks like, what any of that. It's, we're all beautifully, wonderfully unique creations in the image of God. And it, I'm telling you, we're all created. We're all created in the image of God. And we all come back from that one man. He made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history. There are appointed times in history. You're alive in this appointed time in history. And this is perfect. Why? He did it. And, and, and the, the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and per, perhaps reach out to him and find him. God set you in this time in history because it was your best opportunity to reach out to God, to find him, and to seek him. This moment... This moment, you're like, well, I wish I'd have lived in the time of Jesus. Guess what? In that moment, it may have been a very different thing for you. This moment was your best time to connect with Jesus. This moment in your time in history for you to seek him, reach out to him, and find him. He put you in the best spot for you to do it. He doesn't usurp your will. He doesn't make you reach out to him, but he puts you in a place where you can reach out to him, find him, and seek him. And this is your place, this is your moment for you to be able to live the life God has called you to be able to live. You're not here in this point in history by accident in any shape, form, or fashion. For we just to find him, and though he is not far from any one of us, for in him we live and we move and we have our being, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. When we know that we're loved, when we know that we're loved, we can take that next step. We can take that next step. And so, folks, our bottom line today is, is the more you seek his face, the more you find your place. The more you seek his face, the more you find where God created you to be and to function. So many times we set out in, in a journey of life to find ourselves. Well, you know what? If you'll just find God, if you'll connect with God, the rest of it will fall in line. The more we focus on self, the more we're getting further from God. The more we focus on God, the more we find who we really are called to be. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.